morning, Pete Giuliano. Good morning. It is, it is Saturday, the 1st of August, 2020. That makes this solder smoke. Pete, what's the number? 224. Crank it in, Ralph. Crank it in. 224. Crank, crank it in. 224. Pete, you know, these are dark times, but we're going to start on a positive note because good things are happening in the world also. We are heading to Mars, my friend. Yes. Mars, the red Perseverance. Planet. Perseverance, what a cool name, too. Yeah. Picked pick by a 17-year-old kid from Virginia. Um, even before all of the all of the current heartache, but he picked it out. He thought it was a good name, Perseverance. And I, I, I that kind of resonated with me because we talk about perseverance here on the podcast, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't you can't give up. You gotta persevere. Yeah. And then they've got they've got a helicopter flying with it, Pete called wow. ingenuity another yes. thing we talk about this 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 is a spacecraft for us I, I watched the launch the other day watched it live and it was so cool to see that thing going off from uh from cape kennedy and they had some great shots and it seems everything's going well so we're going to continue to monitor that one you know this is the we're, we're we're where we are in our orbit with mars where this is the window for launching spacecraft so you have to do it now or you have to wait two years yeah. So off it went, and we're not the only ones. There, the UAE has a, a spacecraft in route also, but also I think very interesting for us. And I don't think a lot of podcast listeners will be aware of this, but China has a spacecraft on the way also called Tianwen One. And the thing that's interesting about that is that uh, a radio amateur is monitoring the telemetry from the Chinese spacecraft in route to Mars. Wow. His name is Daniel Estevez. His call sign Echo Alpha Four Golf Papa Zulu. Echo Alpha Four Golf Papa Zulu. This is a guy to watch, um, and he is—he's uh, doing some really interesting things, pulling down the telemetry from the spacecraft on its way to Mars. He's using a fifty-foot parabolic dish. Wow! That's located in Germany, so he can access it remotely, and he's using that to get the telemetry. And then he's able to to kind of decode it and interpret it. So I think this is really cool, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to watch this one. Uh, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. You know, Pete, I just want to mention. Sometimes we mention books. We do book reviews here. We talk about that. Um, a, a few years back, a book came out that really I, I loved it. I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast liked it too. The The Martian. I oh. think it's by by Andy Weir. Yeah, the movie. And they made the movie, yeah, yeah. with uh, Matt Damon stuck there yeah. on Mars, growing potatoes and all that. And it was it was my kind of sci-fi because it was, I guess it's what you'd call hard science fiction, where everything had to be scientifically accurate. And also, this thing wasn't set too far into the future, where you start, you know, fantasizing about what what might technologies might be available. So I was thinking about this, and you know, we're, we're kind of on lockdown still, and a lot of time on your hands, so I figured I should read some sci-fi. So I asked the Google machine to send me, you know, recommendations on books that are sort of like The Martian. The thing is, there's not a lot of them. A lot of the, a lot of the, the sci-fi out there is more like fantasy stuff, but, but hard sci-fi, sort of like this, like 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, those kind of things. There's not too many, but one thing they they recommended was uh, the Mars trilogy. Oh yeah, by, by Xi a Jinping. Named, huh? The, the the Chinese guy. 
No, 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 no. This is different. Oh. This is this is older. This is by Kim Stanley Robinson. Ah, okay. And it's it was written late '80s, early '90s, and it's it's a it's long. I mean, it's a trilogy. So he had to put in there just about every thought that popped into his head. I think. But it's it's fun and it's uh, it's interesting. He gets into a lot of detail about Martian geology and everything else. But Pete, no skip on Mars, my friend. Oh, no ionosphere. Yeah. No F layer. Nothing yeah. like that. Ooh. So future when Mars colonists will not be able to you know work operate DX. DX. Yeah. No man, it's all going to be you know line of sight VHF UHF. Or uh, or satellite stuff. So anyway, that was interesting. Also, as long as we're in the extraterrestrial realm, hey Pete, sunspots. Have you noticed? No. They're up. Oh well, yeah, that's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I check, and the solar flux index this morning. Woohoo! Seventy-two. Woo. Ooh. Well, above 68 is is amazing, right? I know it's been like it's been stuck at 68 for, yeah, for yeah. a long, long time. But the other the other number that I look at, and many of us have stopped looking at it because it's been so depressing. The sunspot number, the SN, usually appears right next to the solar flux index, and that's in many ways more revealing about what's going on. It's the actual count of sunspots visible on the face of the sun. It's been at zero for so many years now. Uh, I checked it this morning. The sunspot number's at 23. Wow. So, I don't know. This could let's, be the let's sign. Let's get up to 300. Yeah, let's get it up there. We'll be back at 1957. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what's the what's the Oracle lady, the sunspot Oracle lady say? I haven't I haven't seen her saying anything yet. I'm, we, we've got to find out. If anybody knows what, what the sunspot Oracle lady is saying, please let us know. We're hoping that she's she's positive. She's upbeat. Hey, Abe, before you move on too quickly, yeah, I found out The Martian is on the free movie section of On Demand on my oh, TV. Oh man, watch yeah. it! It's yeah, good. I it did. was, and it was one of those one of those movies where it was almost as good as the book. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked the book. It, it had so many things in there that I was that really I found interesting, but the movie was pretty darn good too. Well, what caught my interest is they they interviewed somebody who was reviewing the movie and they said everything that is in that movie was not made up in other words there's existing science or technology today yep that is would make that real i mean you could go put your hands on a piece of equipment and say oh yeah that'll do that oh yeah that'll do that so i, I thought that was amazing that it's it's real stuff no, it's 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 that, that and that's the that's sort of the way I, I like it. It sometimes if you get get too far out there, it sort of goes start kind of reverts into the realm of kind of fantasy and let's pretend and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I guess I was kind of raised on Arthur C. Clarke and all that. So, all right, so yeah, so watch watch The Martian and then maybe check out uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Just the thing for lockdown because. Yeah. At thousands and thousands of pages. What else are you going to do, right? <laughs> well, speaking of what else we're going to do, Pete, I think we should talk about what we have on our benches. I don't cool. know. You want to go first or should I go first? No, you go first. All right. So actually, sometimes I think, man, I'm not doing anything. I'm not building anything. But then I look back on it and there were a lot of projects that popped up. One of the things I've continued to work on is the uh, the, the little simple shortwave AM 
receiver that I built, the Q31. Um, this was for the 31-meter AM shortwave broadcast band. And you guys will recall I built it in kind of Altoids, tins. I used that beautiful capacitor that you sent me, Pete. Had that thing prominently displayed up in front and center. Used a little um, CD-ROM disc for the dial. I've been marking it with place names, you know, Spain. Schenectady, New York. (laughs) I desperately want to put Java on there, but I haven't found the station from Java yet. Um, But one of the problems, and, you know, I, I think this is... A good point, especially with receivers, you got to work on them a little bit. I, I find that I have to coax at first, coax the signals through the receiver. A lot of times, people think they're going to build a receiver, they're going to turn it on, and signals will come blasting through perfectly. It's, it, it's, sometimes it happens, but usually with me, I have to coax and tweak and peek and troubleshoot and debug and everything else, and gradually. Over the course of days or even a week, I get to a point where the signals are coming out the way they're supposed to. Well, that happened with the Q31, but there were still some deficiencies in there. And they were interesting deficiencies, I think. For example, I would tune a really strong shortwave broadcast station and then tune away from it about, about usually about... Uh, you know, 600 hertz or something on the dial, but then I would hear it a second time. Hmm, why am I hearing it twice? And so I started to dig into the literature a little bit, and I found references to spurs in the response curves of the ceramic resonators that we've been using. These are the Murata ceramic resonators. They're very common. They're at 455 KC, and when VK3HN, uh, Paul Taylor, was using them, I said, man, that's just the thing for me, because you could still get these things, and you can get them in sufficiently wide uh, bandwidth to to be useful for for AM. But what I didn't realize was that uh, if you look at those response curves, Murata notes that that not only is there a a kind of a, a pass band around 455 KCs when you want it, but there's another one a little bit further up at around 640 kcs. And it's a, it's a fairly, I mean, it's not the same level as the 455 kc, but it's, it's only about 20, 25 dB down. And if you've got a strong AM broadcast station coming in, it's going to make it through. So that's why you can hear it at two places on the dial. And of course, this bugged me. You know, I didn't like it. Um, so I started thinking about ways to resolve it. And at first I was thinking, okay, I'll make some little traps, some little series resonant traps that are tuned at like 640 KCs. And I'll put them on either one end or both ends of the ceramic resonator. And that'll knock down the, um, the, the 640 KC spike. The problem was I had a tough time coming up with a circuit that was of sufficiently high Q so that it would be sharp enough to knock out that, that spur at 640 without affecting 455 KC. So, okay, I kind of gave up on that. Then the other thing, I, I saw a recommendation at some point, whereas if, where if you're building a receiver for 455 KC, um, make sure you include in the IF amplifier chain stages with 455 KC IF transformers, LC transformers in there. Make them, in other words, make these amplifiers tuned amplifiers and not the broadband Broadband. amplifier that we've been using a lot. 
Now, I had built the amplifiers here uh, using schematics pretty much robbed out of the BIDX transceivers, which are broadband RC-coupled amplifiers with no tuned circuits in the collector or base circuits of the, 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 the amplifiers. So then I started thinking, well, maybe I'll go back and try to kind of cludge in some 455KC transformers. Well, first, I didn't have any at the time. Second, it looked like it would be a real mess. So I put it away for a while. And then an idea came to me. This is the idea of stepping away from the bench and letting it kind of percolate through your head. I said, look, if I could find another filter, even if it's much wider than the 10 KCs that I want, the only thing I really care about with the other filter is that it not have a response at 640 KCs. So I started rummaging around in the, uh, in the junk box and I found some older Murata 455 KC filters, but from a, from a previous generation, they were much wider. These things were like 20 KCs wide, which was too wide for my, for my, what I needed, I needed about 10 KC wide. But then I said, let me take a look at the response on these things. And I, I used the, um, um, the Nano VNA to, to take a look at the response on these filters. And bingo, they've got great response right where you want it at 455 KC. Now it's wide, but nothing is flat at 640. So I said, okay, all I'm going to do is put this ahead of the 10 KC filter. So I'll, I'll, in essence, use the broader filter as kind of a roofing filter. Its only real function is to knock down that 640 KC response. Then in comes my 10 KC filter, and it narrows the, the band down to, to where I want it, but the 640 KC doesn't go through. Conveniently, the inputs and outputs on both these filters was about 1.5 KC, so I just could run one, one right into the other. Somebody pointed out, yeah, but you're going to get an additional 6 dB of loss with that additional ceramic filter in there. True enough, but I have a lot of IF gain in this thing already, so it, it kind of made up for it. But it was very satisfying. It worked. So I, I put this thing in. It was a real simple fix. I've got a blog post on it, and it, uh, and it worked. So the, now, it only, now these stations only appear at one spot on the oh, dial. Oh, that's good. Imagine the luxury. <laughs> All right, so that was one one project. Um, I've been I, then with again with the Q31. I decided, hey, you know, this thing sounds so great on shortwave broadcast AM. Wouldn't it be fun to listen to seventy-five meter AM with this thing? Ooh, that's a dangerous around this time. Um, Fred KC5RT sends me um, he sends me a really nice attenuator that I had up on the blog, but he also sends me a box of parts. And just as I'm thinking about, I want to build a converter. What kind of frequency scheme would I use? I have a nine, a receiver that inhales at around 9.8 megahertz. And these signals are at 3.8 megahertz. Hmm, what kind of frequency do I need? Huh, six megahertz. I open the box from Fred, and he's got one little box in there with about 10, six megahertz crystals. Oh, man. The radio gods have spoken. Oh, yes. So I, I I rummage around. I've got some old old style NE602 chips in there. I build a little input circuit, a little out, output circuit. I run the six megahertz crystal into the into the crystal thing. Took some peeking and tweaking, 
took, I had to refresh my memory on the functioning of a Gilbert cell, but there it is. There it works. Now, here's one interesting point about this. You know, whenever you're testing a, a mixer, um, what I like to do is to make sure that that mixer stage is working. I'll just put the two input signals in and then I'll put my scope on the output just to make sure that the sum and the difference frequencies are showing up. You know how it is. You tune mm -hmm. it across and you see, am I getting it, right? Is it working? Is it actually mixing? Is it producing sum and difference frequencies? But with the NE602, the NE602 is designed to work with very low-level signals. It's, it's designed, in many cases, to go directly from the antenna. So you're talking about microwatts. Microwatts going in, microwatts coming out. I, I found that I could not see the output on my Rigol scope. Even if I put it down at max sensitivity, I would tune across expecting to see, for example, a 9.8 megahertz output. I just couldn't see it. I would even put filters in there on the scope to, to focus in around 9.8. It still wouldn't show up. So I remembered Farhan had sent me his Antuino, and I pulled out the Antuino and hooked it up as the receiver and then set it to look at right around 9.8 megahertz. Boom, clearly, right there. You could see the output very clearly. So the Antuino came to the rescue and it just shows you that sometimes you really the, the the tools that you're thinking about using you have to give it some thought on the tools oh, because yeah. just especially if signal levels are, are really low so three cheers for the antuino hey pete i mentioned the nano vna this thing is like it's it's the tool of the year as, as alan wolke put it it is really a lot of fun i mean i'm, I'm having fun with this thing i'm learning a lot i've become more comfortable with the smith chart I've become more comfortable with return loss. Alan W2AEW has put out some really great videos on this. So I, I would encourage people to get the Nano VNA, if nothing else, than for, a, for like a learning tool. It's, it's a great little RF lab there. You know, it's got an SDR receiver in it. This is one of the differences between the Antuino and the Nano VNA. The, the Antuino has a conventional super hat receiver in it. The Antuino has a, a crystal filter in it and that, that receiver there functions pretty much as a standard um, super hat the way we, we know it. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was looking for a, 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 a broader filter at 455KC, Farhan suggested that I just use the circuit out of the Antuino. It's a crystal filter with that, that's fairly, fairly broad. Now, the Nano VNA, if you look at the guts of this thing, it's tiny. It's like the size of a deck of cards, smaller. But it's got an SDR receiver in it. And so that, that gives it, you know, much greater analytical capability. And it's really, really look at amazing spectrums. stuff. You can look at spectrums. Well, speaking of spectrum analyzer, you know, the, the same guys in China who put out the Nano VNA that I'm using, which is available for about 50 bucks, just this week, Tony, G4WIF, alerted oh, yeah. me to the fact <clears throat> that the same company has come out with a similarly sized and similarly priced spectrum analyzer. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, I, I, these things are so small, I have to be careful that it doesn't get lost on the workbench. I mean, but the, the capabilities in there are just fantastic. So, I think people are going to be lining up to get this uh, pocket-sized spectrum and, analyzer. And the price... 
price point Six, is 64 bucks shipped yeah, from china yeah there you go so amazing stuff and as you said many times pete this is the the kind of the the golden age of home brewing oh yeah hey uh as long as we're on the same subject of home brewing, I am I am attempting to re- redeem myself with the radio gods, because speaking of 455 KC, our listeners will remember that I am guilty of cannibalism, especially with regard to the Heathkit QF1Q multiplier at 455 KC. At least three of these devices, which are considered kind of heirlooms sacred. by sacred by 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 fanatical boat anchorologists have gone under the knife in my shack because i really like the 100 picofarad variable capacitor with built-in reduction drive so i i've picked up these things and i've pulled out the capacitors and that leaves these kind of sad looking carcasses there but you know what these carcasses have they have really good LC circuits at 455 KC. It's hard to get a coil that'll work well that low in frequency, but they have these coils in there. They're shielded. So I had three of them in the junk box. I pulled out the coils and the capacitors, and I made three 455 KC parallel LC circuits. And I used the same chassis from one of these things, flipped it over, and I put three of them side by side, linked them together by 20 picofarad caps, did a little bit of modeling and LT spice and LC, and boom, Bob is your mother's brother. Yes. And I've got a, I've got a functioning um, 455KC filter there, which may be the, the heart of a new shortwave broadcast receiver. Anyway, I've been, been tinkering around with that. Lots of other little odds and ends stuff here, Pete, as I wrap up my segment, but... Uh, I, uh, when I, as part of my, my 455 KC mania, um, I, I pulled out the, the, the circuit board from my old bicycle radio. I had, a, I used to have a, an AM radio that went on the, Ooh, a, a yes, handlebar on the handlebars. Yeah. I'm, you mean, I'm riding the same bicycle that I've been riding since 1990. Wow. I bought it in 1990 in Spain and I used to ride it in the trails. It's an old heavy mountain bike. And at one point, I got a little AM radio and put it up on the uh, on the handlebars. Now, this was considered really avant-garde technology at the point. Wow, a radio on your bicycle, right? Of course, now I, I'm riding the same bike, but I'm zipping down the trail with um, Pandora blasting through my cell phone to a Bluetooth link to a stereo speaker that sits up on the on the handlebars so we've advanced technologically but i still have the board for this uh this thing and i pulled it out and started doing some research and figured out how the circuit work you know it's a classic i hadn't heard this before the all japanese six Ooh. you know we have the all american five yeah and which is the heart of our beloved s38 receivers mm. <laughs> <laughs> pete, pete gags <laughs> The Echophone receiver, the EC1, all this, many, many, all these broadcast receivers that sat on people's kitchen tables for years because it used five standard tubes and it was a very standardized design. Well, I discovered Really cheap. Yeah, really, really cheap. You know, just transformerless, you know, Widowmaker. Don't plug it in wrong. Um, But there's a, a pretty standard design for AM broadcast receivers especially popular 
I guess around the mid-60s when transistor radios really were the rage. I remember as a kid getting my first transistor radio with a little earphone. I'd go out and listen to rock and roll out in the backyard. But these rigs all used um, a pretty standard six-transistor circuit. Three of the transistors were the audio amp. There was a, a mixer at the front end. There were two IF amplifiers at 455. Diode detector, boom, all Japanese six. And I discovered that my bike radio is exactly that. Ooh, and wow. and so uh, I'm, I, uh, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Bruce KK0S, sent me some some parts, and he included in there the um, the pot, the the rheostat that I need to get this thing going. So that radio is coming back. Uh, just you know, one thing it's 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 good. We always talk about the need to understand, and I discovered that I. I realized I didn't really understand how L network matching networks really work. How do they work in one direction going from high impedance to low? How do they work in the other direction going from a low impedance to high? And it's really interesting. So I've been digging into that. I'm coming to a, a better understanding of it. And I'll maybe I'll put something up on the blog. But uh, it is good every once in a while to step back from the workbench turn off the soldering iron, pull out some pencil and paper in the books and do some oh, yeah. what Pete Giuliano has told us, noodling. Yes. And remember, and do something that Gene Shepard admonished us to do, that is to try to really understand the circuitry. So I've been doing that. And avoid distortion, your heising modulation. Heising <laughs> modulation, yes, because it'll mess up your date with yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. with the girl from the high school. Yeah. I, I, always, I, I just, I keep thinking about what she said to him. Yeah. She looked at him You're and sick. said, <laughs> no, she said, I think there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> I think your mother should take you to a doctor. Oh, the humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but man, the guy had a problem. His, his Heising modulator was distorting. How can you, how can you think of anything else? Yes. Right. All right. Hey, one other thing. I, um, and this is another thing I think we should do every once in a while. Step back from the bench and take a look at, how the bench is equipped in terms of tools, spare parts, test gear, and ask yourself, is there something I can do so that the next project will go easier so that I've become more efficient? Because if you just keep doing the same thing over again, over and over again, you're not, you're not really progressing, I think, as a home brewer. And one of the things I realized that I, I was kind of deficient in was an important part of what we call the junk box, but it's really it's not really junk, it's parts, the parts supply. We all have to have a lot of different values of resistors around because we're constantly going and pulling, I need a 10K resistor, I need a 47-ohm resistor, I need a 10-ohm resistor. And I've been just buying these uh, kits from SparkFun and others, which have a really broad range of resistors in it. But I find that I keep, I'll burn through the kit and then at the end, I will have used up maybe 10 of the 25 or so resistor values that are in the kit. I'm very rarely using the real high-end values. I'm very rarely using 1 mega-ohm resistors or 500K resistors. A lot of that stuff was for like the 2 bureau. We don't really use those high resistance values enough. So I had, a, I had like three, or three of these like spark fun that come in like little booklets. They're really neat. But then I just started doing something. I said, I'm going to use a, a scientific approach to this. I'm going to see which part values I depleted in each of these kits. You see? Uh-huh. See? Th 
thinking, thinking, yeah. thinking. And then I'm going to figure out how to make my own resistor kit that yeah. only uses the resistors that I actually use. And then Drew, N7DA, came in and gave me the answer. He says, look, he said, just go to Mauser, order 100 each, and he gave me the bill of materials. And he had actually done the work to use the resistor values that I wanted. He gave me the, the, the little block of code. He said, you just plug that into the, to the Mauser page, you order it. Pete, it's like 25 bucks, and it showed up yesterday. Okay, my values, if anybody wants to take note, 4.7 ohms, 10 ohms, 47 ohms, 100 ohms, 220 ohms, 330 ohms, 470 ohms, 1K, 2.2K, 3.3K, 4.7K, and 10K. That's it. All right? So I ordered 100 each from Mauser at a quarter watt. Most of the time you're using a quarter watt. It, it came in like a day. They're all, they're all in nice little packets. 25 bucks. All right? This should do me for a long time. Um, and I'm not going to have all these extraneous resistors that I never use around. I've, I've got some nice little envelopes. I'm going to package it right. I'm going to make it efficient. Pete, that a step forward here at the lab at N2CQR. Before we move on to your workbench, I think we have to do what, Pete? Shameless Commerce. It's the Shameless Commerce Division, ladies and gentlemen. And we have something new to talk about here. We have to talk about Patreon. <sighs> I'm a Patreon. I, it, I started out as a very Patreon wannabe. I was watching um, the SV Delos. Samson. Samson Boat Company. Yeah. SV Delos. All the cool kids have Patreon links on their websites. How come we didn't? So I started messing around with a little bit, you know, checking a website, copying some code, put it up there. Boom. It was pretty easy to do. And it's a kind of a neat way to, to support the podcast so we've got a fairly large number of, of people who've come in and made you know nice donations that are will come in on the monthly basis to keep the podcast going to keep us buying gear that we could talk about here on the show and it's just it's just a cool way to do it so it's a, in the upper left hand corner of the patreon of, of the solder <clears throat> smoke blog page and if you'd like to to become a patreon sponsor just click. You know, I, I had one guy write and say, well, what are you going to do with the money? <laughs> so I, I, I wrote up, you'll see on the blog, kind of a, 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 I think a very thoughtful listing of things that we might do with the money. But I'll just give you a, a sample. Pete, you and I both have to upgrade our computers. Yes. These are 486 machines that we're using right now. Getting kind of rickety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we have to pay our legal fees yes. to the to the to the law firm of Dewey Cheatham and Howe. You know, because we face challenges, many challenges. Our continued use of sixty forty solder has exposed us to many, many lawsuits. And then there's the ongoing effort to prevent our expulsion from the QRP Hall of Fame. We we right. have to we, we, we somebody has to pay the lawyers to, to, to do right. that. We've also got and I think people will, will really appreciate this, our uh, Baofeng buyback program. Oh, yeah. You, you know, in many cities around the world, across the country, they have buybacks for assault weapons where, you know, you, 
you bring the assault weapon in, they give you money for the assault weapon. We're doing the same thing with Baofeng walkie-talkies, which I think is very good. And uh, then also there's the Solder Smoke 401k retirement fund. You know, we've got, it consists right now of uh, solid state design for the radio amateur books, uh, a few Drake 2Bs, some S38s. You know, the things that we might want to add, you know, things that are going to go up in value. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, hey, on, on, on Shameless Commerce, the, uh, the Amazon link is over on the right. We have to put some ads there. I usually have nano VNAs or Rigol scopes or other stuff that just looks cool up there. But that's not, you don't have to buy just that. Anything you want to buy from Amazon, you start your search there and cha-ching. Mr. Bezos has to send us some money. Doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't cost us anything. Costs him money. <laughs> uh, yes. I better watch it. He's gonna. I'm gonna get banned from Amazon. Did Did you see where his ex-wife gave away 1.7 billion dollars? Wow. To various charities. Like Can the, she send some to us? No, but you need to get on her list. I want McKenzie. to get on her list. She should yeah. sponsor Solder Smoke. Yeah, she changed her name back to Mackenzie Scott. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That's cha-ching. Yeah, $1.7 billion. Yeah. $1.7 billion. We could use some of that here at Solder Smoke, Maybe she could be a Patreon. Patreon, sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Pete, what's on your bench? What have you been working on? Well, you know, it's a, it's kind of interesting to see <clears throat> where we're at with this pandemic. And I just want to take two seconds to to recognize the number of people that have passed. And undoubtedly, there's probably a few hams in there. And it's regrettable, the the high death rate that we have here. We're, we're 25% of the world, and we should never lose sight of that. So be safe, guys. Wear a mask, social distance, avoid crowds. Pretty yep. simple. Pretty it is, simple. it is, it is. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's okay, terrible. Okay, so on my bench, but first I wanted to mention uh, a publication. A publication? A publication. Yes. Um, yesterday in the mail, I got this magazine from the EA, that's the Spanish QRP Club. All right. They put out something equivalent to Sprat. All right. And it's really a cool magazine, except it's all in Spanish. So so I have better. <laughs> I have no clue what it's saying, but the reason I think I got it is they reprinted the article from Sprat on the Paisano. All right. Which is originally the Pilgrim. The Pilgrim, the yeah, Pellegrino. Yeah, so here it is. It, it went full circle. <laughs> it, went, it went from the Pilgrim to Sprat to me to Sprat and now back to the EA QRP Club. I mean, two guys from the EA QRP Club is the ones who designed it. And I, I, I know it's me because I recognize all the photographs and, and, it's, and it's all in Spanish, so I have no idea what it, what it says. But there's some introduction. And I, one thing I saw is, is uh, he's been a ham for 60 years. So I said, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the thing, I, I then kind of worried a little bit. Um, you know, here it is. I took their design and I changed it. I changed it markedly. And, and I hope no one was offended by that. You know that apparently not. You know, but here, here. So if you have access to the EA QRP Club, you can see the Paisano in Spanish. 
send send it to me, Pete. I'll tell you what it says. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. I, I'll do that. So anyway, it was just it was so. Well, congratulations. I mean, you know, what do they what do they always say? The most the sincerest form of flattery, you know? Yeah, Imitation. yeah, yeah. So anyway, and, that that showed up in yesterday's mail, and I said. Actually, there's some really interesting articles. I really, I really wished I could read well, Spanish. You I know? mean, there's some. There's always been a really great community of home brewers there, and we see really interesting stuff happening out of Spain. You know, I, I love that country. I lived there for two years, and like, as we mentioned earlier, EA4GPZ is listening to the the, the Chinese yeah. spacecraft on its way to Mars. So great stuff happening out of Spain. And we've and seen many nice homebrew and QRP rigs coming out of there. There's a there's a uh, Benelux Belgium and Luxembourg has quite an active they have a publication too so I mean Germany has uh, has a big uh, community I, I forget what the name of that German publication is but there's a lot of stuff going on worldwide there is more than QST please that is yes. why we here in Solder Smoke have always been the IBEW the yeah. International Brotherhood yeah. and Sisterhood of yeah. Electronic Wizards so. Yeah, well, uh, and well, you know, I think you're gonna we're gonna see that later on in the program today because when we get to the um, the mailbag, it's a particularly diverse and international mailbag this week. I think a lot of this is the function of the the lockdown. I mean, we're getting more usually usually the summer months are a doldrum in terms of ham radio activity, especially online. Not this year. Yeah. Oh well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a confession to make. Tell us. I tell must us. confess. Since the last podcast, I built another transceiver. <laughs> Number? <laughs> I Number? think 46. Number 46. Number 46. Okay. Yes. All right. Good. Number 46. <laughs> you gotta, it's one of these deals, Pete, where you got to walk into the meeting and say, my name is Pete Giuliano, <laughs> and I build HF transceivers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Number 46. It's on the air. So anyway, this is a... Uh, this is a second SDR uh, transceiver uh, that uses the Raspberry Pi or the Aces Tinkerboard or even uh, a desktop that has Linux, like the Linux Mint machine that I have. Anyway, um, I paid a little close attention in this latest build to um, how I can shrink down the number of boards. And so I've uh, I've been able to um, reduce the number of boards and still not sacrifice performance, and and it's really amazing to to see um, the display and the waterfall. By the way, is is Brother Stair on nine nine eight zero? But Brother Stair's on practically all frequencies. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well, the reason if is you, if you're hearing you know raving and ranting, yeah. From South That's Carolina. probably Brother Stare. Hey, yeah. this guy is this guy's a real well. He's an entrepreneur. He said, "Send me the email, and I read them all. But then, if you really want my attention, send money." <laughs> 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 and, and the reason I happen to trip across him is, of course, using WWV is a good way to tune up a, tune up a radio. You know, if you mm-hmm. you can if you can capture the 10 megahertz signal and, and you peak the circuits for 10 megahertz, but you look off to the side there and you see the spectrum with, and I thought it was a spur, you know, 9980. So I tuned down there and I said, Oh no, no. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. They're, they're the powerful 31 meter shortwave transmitters. There's WRMI, yeah. there's WBCQ. There's a, there's a few others that are one out of South Carolina, the RMI is out of uh, Okeechobee, Florida. 
and stare buys time on these transmitters. So, oh. you know, one day you'll be one day on the transmitter, you'll be listening to jazz from the left. Oh, okay. And then, boom, Brother Stair comes in and harshes your mellow, you know. So, anyway. Yeah, so, well, you know, you can really, uh, well, the thing that's nice with the SDR, just pretty simple board, uh, is you can listen at 10 kilohertz, or you can listen at 5 kilohertz, or 6 kilohertz, or 8 kilohertz. I mean, you just select the filters, which makes it kind of nice. But I want to go back to the point about parts. You were talking about parts. Yep. Um, my middle son got it decoded for my birthday and christmas and father's day i get a bag of parts he buys these grab bag parts cool <laughs> and i gotta tell you uh in building these uh various transceivers i i haven't been ordering any parts i i go into the bags and, and look for it and like some of the most common are 10 nanofarad 100 nanofarad and some of the parts are big like like the hundred nanofarad uh, capacitors are only at twenty volts, but they're the big disc ceramic, you know, about 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 the size of a nickel. And so while uh, you're trying to make compact design, it's not very good. But for what I build, it's perfect. So use what you got. You know, if I look through the bags and and I'm I'm not ordering anything because I got the parts. And there's a lot of weird ones in this. There were some uh, NPOs in there. I wanted to build some filters with some NPOs, and I said, you know, we, we, we need to make sure that these things are locked down. I looked through there, and I found everything that I needed right right there in this grab bag that he bought me. So it's, you know, it's really good. Sometimes the grab bags end up like the uh, packs that you were talking about. You end up with values that you can't use. But but I found, for the most part, the 10 nanofarad and 100 nanofarad, there are a lot of them in there, so it's be, been very useful. And, of course, uh I'm really appreciative of that. So he's now, me- now, now, Peter, are you going to make an effort to organize these things and put them into like bags or files or boxes? No, no, it's more fun. <laughs> more fun that- <laughs> it adds to the adventure. <laughs> yeah, I have a box <laughs> to the there. drama. Will I be able no, to build this? Well, thing? You know what I found is I have, I have some. Well, he sent them to me in these uh, uh, priority mail, the small package. Yeah. So I so I leave them in there, and then what I do is it's like panning for gold. You shake the box. <laughs> <laughs> you flip it a full, few times, and they got the values, and they're big enough. Well, <laughs> you can see the you know, values. This is a this is a mentality that 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 normal people might find difficult to understand, <laughs> but we all understand it. You know, I we we were we were talking about a video put out by that genius up in Canada, Mr. Carlson. Oh yeah. I love Mr. His Mr. Carlson is the man. If you guys haven't checked out his YouTube channel, check it out. Because recently he gave a tour of lab number two. Yeah. And you and and Steve, W8NM, and uh, and uh, Grayson all reacted. And it, it, what, what he said resonated. But one thing that got me was he would pan the shelves and he would have like very large, many large boxes just full, filled with assorted un- categorized unfiltered parts just boxes of two parts and then at one point he pauses and says there are many many happy hours of parts categorizing in those boxes (laughs) (laughs) now while we're talking about that he was touring some radio receiver projects that he was going to be working on yes there was not an s38e amongst that group i looked there was not he, we, that Mr. is not Mr. Carlson might need might need some S thirty eight. So I might have <laughs> <Yeah>. to send. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, hey. it, it could have a bad effect. You know, I said Mr. Carlson an S38, and a couple months later, we find out that he's taken up stamp collecting. Yeah, yeah. But it proved one thing. Someone's got a lot more stuff than I do. I know. And I, and your your response was, I need to get out there and buy more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but go on. So what yeah. else are you working on? So, so anyway, I've been consumed with this, and um, right now I'm, I'm cleaning things up, and... Um, I, I'm really, I'm really kind of impressed uh, that with less number of circuit boards, you can have a pretty sophisticated SDR transceiver. And one thing I, I keep hearing is guys keep saying, "Gee, your audio sounds really good. It has a lot of presence." And I kept saying, "Well, I wonder why they're saying that." And then I'm suddenly realizing that probably these SDR softwares are opening up the bandwidth. On the on the transmitted audio, they're they're probably nudging three kilohertz instead of like two point one, and boy, you can tell a different your ear can tell the difference between two point one and three kilohertz. Oh, a lot, yeah, sure. So I, I suspect that when these people are giving these presence comments, I, I'm using a cheap six dollar headset, <laughs> you know. So there's there's no two hundred and eighty dollar how PR two eighty one or whatever it is uh, on the front end of that, and, and so. I think a lot of that has to do with the the bandwidth of the SDR. So, yeah. oh man, so but it, but it's wonderful when they start commenting on your presence. But then yes. you tell them it's a homebrew rig, and they say, "What do they say?" Gee, it sounds good for a homebrew rig. But oh, yesterday, man. yesterday I ran into an interesting one. I shared with the guy. I said, "You're the like the third or fourth contact that I've had with this because I just got it operating." And he said, "I'm looking at your QRZ page." He said, "Don't tell me about that." Tell me about how you put that radio in the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> he said, how'd you get it through the neck? I said, I didn't. <laughs> the bottom comes off. He said, you just ruined it. <laughs> he should have told him. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like how they built ships that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyways, I've been, you know, I'm spending a lot of time on the SDR and I'm going to get that wrapped up and looking at some other things, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And like I said, in, in just a month since our last podcast, I built another transceiver, number 46. Number 46. But you you also were doing, I saw something interesting on your, your page. There's always something interesting on your page. But one of the things that caught my eye was your work on the bandpass filters. <clears throat> yes. And you had, to, you had to do some, you had to broaden them a bit, right? Yeah, well, what... Uh, you, typically, I use the uh, two-section bandpass, you know, with some tunable caps. As a matter of fact, I came up with a design using LT Spice that just with a, dish, a change in two capacitors, you can make this filter work either on 20 or 40 meters, which makes it kind of nice because you just retune the caps, uh, and you can use the same filter on 20 or 40, so you don't have to, you know, you just stock the parts, and you essentially have two filters. But But typically, I found that these filters were centered on the sideband portion of the spectrum mm -hmm. so they work fine there so you know the 3db points kind of dropped off at at the end of the band or on on ssb but if you want to work ft8 you swing down the you know down into the cw portion of the band that thing drops off the cliff i mean the power drops by half yeah so i looked at the uh i essentially looked at the bitx three section filter and mm -hmm. out of the bit x40 and i just scaled that to either 20 or uh 80 meters and it's really easy to do i mean it's all multiples yeah. so the, the uh but it gives you a much wider bandwidth and then there's on the blog there's a simulation lt spice shows where you get a f nice flat curve 
yeah, over the entire forty meter band. So it works works very nice. I, I mean, I use LT Spice too, but I mean, on this when I get to this point, very often I'll turn to LC, you know, the LC program, which which is really good. It lets you tune the parts in, and then it it displays the pass band. So great stuff. But Pete. In doing all this, you came up with another acronym, and I wrote it down here. You you kind of alluded to this earlier, but I U W I H. I used what I had. <laughs> I used what I had. I U W I H. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure you get you you probably get this a lot more than than I do. Sometimes when you when you throw together a little uh, circuit based on parts that you have laying around. In my case, they're still in baby wipe boxes behind me on the shelf over there. The or youngest for, or is now, former Q multipliers. Right. The, well, I mean, the baby walk bite boxes, my youngest is 20. So those boxes have been there for, you know, 20 years. Um, but they're still holding spare parts. And you just throw this thing together based on sort of your your knowledge. When you yeah. know stuff, you can do stuff. Yeah. And then you, if I'll put it up on the page, some guy <clears throat> very sincerely will ask, can you send me the schematic of that? And you're like, you know, I didn't. There's no real schematic because no, it's based on what, what I, I had, had. Yeah. and you know, I <laughs> I could write a schematic, but then it really wouldn't make any sense because you probably don't have those parts that I had anyway. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but I, I like that. Uh, I, I used what I had. I U W I H. Pete, before we get to the mailbag, we got a big mailbag. Um, good stuff. You, anything else? No, no. That, that's a what's whole the month. next project? What's what's coming up? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I may be tackling next, but uh, I certainly got a lot of crap around. You know, it's interesting. I used what I had. Yeah. I opened some boxes and I found stuff I don't remember ordering. <laughs> <laughs> I said, gee, I don't remember where, 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 where did, did that come from? The radio from? gods. The radio <laughs> gods are just putting those parts in there. I, I, I was looking for a display. I was going to order a display and I'm touring through a box or something else and I found two displays and I said, when did I order those? It must have been a couple of years ago. And they just, you know, you put them away. So I got to get organized. You do. Like I said, step away from the bench. Organize. Yeah. yeah. Try to do it. All right, Pete. Solder smoke mailbag. We got a big mailbag. And I think it's all because of the lockdown. People have, have time to think about things and write to us, which is wonderful. VK3HN. Uh, Paul Taylor down there in Australia has come up with another rig. He, Paul, not only does he, he make these wonderful creations, he makes wonderful videos. This video includes kangaroos because he takes his creations and takes them out to summits in Australia, usually with some of his ham radio buddies, and off they go. And he built this rig called the Summit Prowler 7. Summit Prowler 7, what a great name. But he built it around, the transmitter was a homebrew transmitter that he had picked up at a, at a, at a ham fest or a rally in Australia. And he, it, it was marked, the guy who had etched the boards remembered to etch in his call sign. Also, there was a kind of a cryptic reference to where the circuit came from. Paul was able to decode that and realized that it was referring to specific pages in solid state design for the radio amateur. Oh, there you go. It was, uh, I think it was a simple SSB exciter. Yeah. Or the SSB exciter out of that. But there was a call sign there also, VK3AWC, and uh, Paul could not figure out who that was. 
So of course, the solder smoke community came to the rescue. And I, when I put it up on the blog, within hours, somebody had tracked down OMVK3AWC. So uh, anyway, Paul's rig is really cool because it has this board built back in 1993 by VK3AWC using the SSDRA circuit. And that's right in there in the that's Summit Prowler 7. It's got a couple of dual gate MOSFETs in it. It's got some really interesting stuff. 6673 around the filter, KVG filter. Yeah. There you go. And then and then 741 op amp for the audio stage? Yeah. Oh man. I mean and then then Paul describes building the rest of the transceiver around it. You could see the older work there. Really beautiful stuff. Something old, something new. Always something good from VK3HN. Um, similarly, um, we get great stuff from our friend Peter VK2EMU. He does amazing woodwork. I know you have a, a call sign plaque up in your shack. I have I have one here in mine. I have a. He sent me this wonderful key. He's just a great a great guy, a great radio amateur. And he sent us a link because he knows that we're interested in parabolic dishes. And there's this great Australian movie called The Dish about the Parks Radio Telescope. But he said that he found, he remembered as a kid watching a, an Australian TV series called The Stranger. And there was one episode that featured the Parks Radio Telescope. The bad guy was getting chased and the good guys, and they ended up in the parabolic dish chasing us, chasing each other across the parabola. I must say that the, the TV series, I don't know, but... but the, <laughs> I'll put the link up. You guys would we'll, we definitely enjoy the the episode about the dish. And thank well, you, Peter, for sending that to us. We we uh, exchanged emails about Pine Gap. Pine Gap is outside of Alice Springs. Ah, Alice, yes. And and it's a CIA listening site. And there's a Netflix series on Pine Gap. That'll that'll chill you. Interest interesting stuff. Alice is an interesting place. Yeah. Um, Martin SM zero P. He sent us pictures and details of a scratch-built homebrew micro-bidex. Now, wow. many of us have, have homebrewed bidex transceivers. I got three of them sitting around me here. But he went the extra mile and, and scratch-built the multi-band micro-bidex version. Plus, he did it in Dubai. This is, the, you know, so we've got a Swedish radio amateur building a dual-conversion transceiver designed in India, constructed in Dubai. Well, doesn't get you, doesn't get more IBEW than that. Yeah, well, you can't drink in Dubai, so what else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Pete. <laughs> um, then I got I got an email from a guy that I hear all the time on on forty meters and on twenty meters here in in Northern Virginia. I hear I, he's easily recognizable because he's got a very strong Australian accent. That's Jerry Alpha Echo Seven Kilo India. Uh, he he moved to to Tennessee from Australia just a few years ago, and I hear him all the time. You, you you'll hear him. You'll be tuning across forty meters, and you'll hear this Australian accent. And for for a brief second, you'll think, "Wow, the band is really open." <laughs> but no, it's Tennessee. He's but a great guy. He went back and searched his logbooks, realizing that I had been active from from London as M Zero HBR. And he found me in there. I had talked to him when he was in Australia and I was in London. Wow. And I checked my logbook and I found it too. So we, we, we double confirmed that. That was really good. Hey, uh, Frank, ON6UU, uh, Oscar November 6, Uniform Uniform. Speaking of Spain, 
He built one of uh, EA3GCY's 4020 kits. This is another transceiver kit. Really looks nice. And uh, Frank put it in this really cool box for field use. It looks just hardened. It looks tough. It looks like it's ready for, for the trails to go out there and get on the air from summits on the air. But uh, I put that up there. That was, that was really nice. Our old friend Walter, Kilo Alpha 4, Kilo X-Ray X-Ray down there in Florida. Oh, the um, CW guy, 7123. Yeah, yeah that's right. The, the Sunrise Net. Yeah. Yeah. But Walt, Walter's been around for, for a long time. He was writing articles for Sprat back in the 80s. Wow. Right? So he's been contributing to the homebrew literature for a long time. And he, he, he sent us something. I kind of facetiously said that he was um, uh, challenging the simplicity, uh, challenging the complexity of the, micro, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Michigan Mighty Might. He, got, he, he came up with a simpler 40-meter version. Uh, Tom, W9KKQ, uh, wrote, wrote to us about the M19 DMR project, SDR-ish of some sort. I'm going to dig further into that one. Thank you for that, Tom. Uh, Chris, our friend KD4PBJ, wrote to us about radio schenectady, which you alluded to. Really interesting. Why shortwave broadcast stations and AM clear channel stations were operating out of Schenectady, New York. Um we got uh, Chuck, KE5HPY, sent us uh, pictures, beautiful pictures of his uh, regen receiver using a single oh. 12 AU7 tube, oh. but at only at 12 or 24 volts. No Start high circuit. voltage required. Yeah, yeah. And then coincidentally, we got another one from um, Bob, W3BBO. He also built a 12 AU7 regen. So this may be... We may be on the verge of a trend here, my friends. Yeah, Alvin, you know, before you move on, their construction techniques were absolutely superb. I mean, it it didn't look like a kludge. I mean, they had right angle wires. The front panels were done really nicely. I mean, they looked like a millen, uh, this you know vernier drive mechanism on the front panel of one of those. Just absolutely superb construction. Just like they used to build stuff. Just like it did back when radio amateurs were radio amateurs. Yeah. Back in the day. Very good. Um, Alvin, N5 Victor Zulu Hotel, responded to my post about my NE602 converter. He's building one too. He's having a little bit of trouble getting it going. I tried to give him some pointers. I hope you get it going there, Alvin. Let us know if you have any trouble, but it's really cool that you're, uh, that you're, you're building one yourself. Um, Bob, KY3R, he commented on my um, ET2 wall art that I took the rig and turned it into kind of a three-dimensional wall poster. He said that I'm not the first one to do this, of course. <coughs> Sorry, the famed uh, Jim Williams, um, uh, uh, RF designer, apparently decorated one wall of his house with the entire guidance system from an intercontinental ballistic missile. Why not? Kind of dark for me. <laughs> I don't know. I have an ICBM guidance system out there. It kind of creeped me out, you know. But uh, anyway, I mean, he's apparently got another another wall with the Apollo guidance system, which I would find nicer. Uh, Tony G4WIF wrote to us about the spectrum analyzer at nano size. We mentioned that. Uh, we got a, a video up on the blog. Our friend Alan, W2AEW, master home brewer, mentor, teacher, Great guy. He spoke to a UK club about intermodulation distortion and the nano VNA. So uh, 
I got that up on the blog. Very good. Thanks for that, Alan. Now, here's two call signs that are very similar. And this is the reason that I, over the years I have struggled to keep them straight in my mind. We have Bruce KK0S. Yes. And we have Dino KL0S. Wow. Yeah. Did your, did your paths cross sometimes back in, out there in Zero Land, guys? And their interests are remarkably similar. Bruce sent me the 455 KC IF cans. Thank you very much. Bruce has sent me lots of stuff over the years. And Dino sent me a really nice post about him homebrewing 9 megahertz filters from individual uh, uh, crystals at 9 megahertz. I, I'm, I'm in favor of this. Uh, he, he actually has Doug DeMore's crystal tester which yeah. always scared me because it looked more complicated than most of the transceivers that I was going to yes. build. Yes, uh, Wrapping up here, Farhan. Farhan has been getting into SDR, Pete, you'll be pleased to know. And he's digging into, he's found some really simple code, kind of using blocks of code, three or four blocks of code. You string them together and boom, Bob's your uncle. You got SDR. Yeah. And when it was he expl- only a matter of time. He explained yeah. it to me. He explained it to me. It went way over my head, but I'm going to send it to you because I know you'll be interested. I'm going to try to understand it myself. And then finally, Dean KK4DAS, my neighbor over here in Fairfax County, sent me this thing about simple radio astronomy. Yes. You know, I just took the dish uh, <clears throat> system antenna off my roof, a little UHF parabola, parabolic off-center fed antenna. And my wife said, "You're going to put that on the street for the, you know, for the junk man to take." And I kind of said, "No, I, I might be able to use this thing someday." So it's sitting out in the shed, and if I take it, hook it up to a, a UHF SDR dongle, aim it up go. at one point in the sky, and let it scan the sky using the Earth rotation. Yeah. Why I not? might be. I might renew my membership in SARA, the go. Society for Amateur Radio Astronomers. Hey, you know, you're kind of geeky. You're kind of geeky if you've been in SARA. Yeah. Hey, hey, didn't Chris P PBJ send you some pictures of the of the comet? The comet. Yeah, the comet was up there. Pete, Chris sent us some beautiful pictures. Yeah. And Dean was out. Dean took a ride out. Dean rode 45 minutes west from Washington, D.C. with his camera because he's a photographer, and he took some great pictures of Neowise, the comet that's been coming by. I could not see it from the murky and and light-polluted skies of northern Virginia. But real quick, you know um, why it's called Neowise? Because usually they name the comets for the guy who discovers it. You find the comet, it could become the Comet Giuliano. Haley, Haley. Giuliano's Comet. I think we need go. one. There you go. But Neowise, I'm thinking, who is Mr. Neowise? Well, Wise was a, a, a sophisticated uh, infrared, I think, uh, radio telescope placed in orbit. And to get really high resolution, they had to bring the noise down in the, in the receiver, in the whole telescope. So they packed it with solid hydrogen hydrogen that had been cooled to the point where it solidified so hydrogen ice was packed in there and that kept the the whole received telescope system at super such a low temperature that the noise the regular electric noise in the circuitry was minimized over time the the hydrogen as planned sublimated so the ice melted 
right? So you don't have a, so it's not cool anymore. But you still got a pretty good radio telescope up there, uh, a, a pretty good telescope in orbit. And they moved it into its second mission. At that point, it became Neo Wise, New Wise. And they, they, they used it to look for asteroids and comets that might come close to the Earth. And it was that device that discovered the comet that we've all been looking at, thus Comet Neowise. Wow. Pretty cool stuff. Excellent stuff. I feel myself getting pulled into radio astronomy. There you go. I'm going to blame Dean, and I'm probably also going to end up blaming uh, uh, Daniel, EA4GPZ. And maybe you, Pete, for just raising that thing, getting it into my head. You know how it is? <laughs> there you go. There you go. I know. You've got to go. You've got a busy day. Yeah. I, I had one final comment. Go ahead. You were talking about bicycle radios. Bicycle, bicycle radios. radios. Oh, yeah. When I was up in the state of Washington, uh, I inherited a bicycle from my son who was moving back east. And he was living in Seattle. And he said, hey, I can't take this with me. I'm going to give you this bike. And it was at that time uh, that uh, Dave Benson, who's now call sign K1SWL, mm-hmm. Dave Benson up there in New England. Right. Came out with these two single sideband transceivers, one for 20 meters and one for 40, 40 meters, called the White Mountain Special. Right. And it was a, just a little board. So I bought one, I put it in a box, and I mounted it on the handlebars. So I was 20 meter bicycle mobile oh, <laughs> up in the this, state of Washington. This is mind blowing. Uh, yeah, I said. Now, what, what, what mode were you using? Sideband. Oh, my God. Side, side, what side, band? 20 on 20 yeah three did you watts. actually talk to anybody yeah I, I did i did what kind of what kind of antenna were you using well i was using the vertical and i mounted that they had a little uh i made a structure off the back of the seat so you could put the vertical antenna and i had a trailing wire and i caught it up in the wheel a few times <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but but it was great because you could take it out to this area down near the beach and it worked just really great so I had a bicycle mobile, not just a receiver, but a transceiver using the White Mountain Special. And Pete, there's another benefit to this too. You know what that is? No. Chicks dig it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. Pick up chicks well, with the bicycle mobile. Yeah. Well, look at this, baby. I got a 20-meter sideband transceiver. Want to ride yeah. with me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to get in trouble now. <laughs> So anyway, when you mentioned bicycle mobile, I said, "Oh man, I gotta mention something." Pete, you are you are a never-ending source of surprise (laughs) and inspiration. I mean, who would have thought that Pete Giuliano would have been engaged in bicycle mobile? There, there there can be there can be no mode of operation. I mean, one of these days we're going to find out that he was doing submarine mobile. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Out of Midway. (laughs) Hey, you know, I want to just share something with you because that was a criteria for determination of uh, some project uh, some radios that I purchased w- during my working life when I was working for Boeing we were putting in new radio systems at the 747 plant up in Everett so we were of course looking at Motorola and General Electric and so the Motorola guys came said I want to show you a movie they had a pager that they had took in the submarine and they were able to ping the pager underwater so I said, "Okay, <laughs> that, that works." <laughs> so I made it. I made a purchase decision on the fact that the radio could operate in a submarine underwater. Yep. 
All right. We, as you, you know, good. I guess I can do that. I could probably, Yeah, you know. work in the plant. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, we've covered a lot of territory here. I know you yeah. got go. a busy day. Yep. Hey, listen, thanks very much for another exciting episode. This, this was fun. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Pagers and submarines. There you go. Pagers and submarines and Pete Giuliano bicycle mobile. Yeah. You know, if the you, White it, Mountain it, was really small. I had a little little metal box, and it mounted right on the handlebars. That's you know, cool. I, I I ride my bike every day. I go out and I do about an eight-mile ride every day. And at the at the turnaround point, I park and take a drink of water. I read, read a little bit of the Mars book. But, you know, I have like a, a, a back shelf, you know, like a cargo shelf on the, on the back wheel. And I find myself thinking, Antenna. what kind of rig could I put on yeah, there? yeah. I wonder what the whip, I do. Oh my gosh! You got uh, the you got you know, the talent cell. You got the bidex. All you need is a mobile antenna, and you're there. I could do a blue a Bluetooth link. What I was thinking about doing was, you know, I've got the the, the iPhone in my pocket connected yeah. by Bluetooth to the speakers on the on the ring speaker up on the front, and so I, I could easily listen. I could tune it to whatever frequency and just go down. I mean, most of the time I'm listening to music, but I could easily just listen. Using Pandora, uh, using I mean using the uh, you know, web SDR. Yeah. But Pete, I was scared when you told me you were bicycle mobile. I thought you were going to tell me that you were on CW. No. No. That would that would have been too much. <laughs> yeah. 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 Seven three from Northern Virginia, Pete. Seven three is from the left coast, Bill. Talk to you soon. You bet. Bye bye. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!